20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here with my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, it is uh, good to be back for another Friday edition of the show. Yeah, it's great to be back as always. Uh, what's not to like? The Packers are 2-0. and They're coming off a stretch where they'll have two games in a five-day stretch against tough opponents. Aaron Rodgers has indicated there's no such thing as a trap game, but I'm sure the physical toll that they're going to have can't be downplayed totally. So it would be nice for the backers to have a comfortable win on Sunday against a struggling offensive line and be able to rest some starters late in the game. But that that's pretty much the only uh, negative thing I can say. We we, we got to be riding high. Yeah. Two divisional wins. We're looking good. You can't ask for a better start to the season, that's for sure. I think we all wanted this to happen. I think we all, you know, coming into two really tough opponents at the beginning against divisional rivals, uh, you can't ask for a better start. And so we are excited uh, to turn our attention to the key matchup in this week's game. And last week, Andrew and I talked about key matchups heading into the game with the Vikings. I brought up the matchup between Kenny Clark and Vikings rookie center Garrett Bradbury. And Andrew talked about the matchup between Jair Alexander and Stephon Diggs. And so not to toot our own horns, because we're humble over here, right? But both of those matchups ended up being a pretty huge game, uh, just just playing a huge factor in that game. And so we're going to keep doing this, because uh, when Devontae Adams has a tough matchup against a top cornerback, we want to highlight that. And when the defensive line faces a heavy uh, run offense, we want to highlight that, because those are the really big matchups that are going to really play a big role in how the game goes and how... Uh, the, the coaches have to change their game plan uh, to meet the needs of the game flow. And so we know that the Packers have the Broncos this week. And so let's go ahead and start by looking at some of the matchups that the Packers offense will have to keep their eye on this week as they prepare for this game on Sunday. Yeah, first of all, I wanted to correct you because nobody in my life has ever accused me of being humble. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sorry. little bit offended by that. I didn't Sec- mean to speak for you there, Andrew. Secondly, I'd, I'd like to apologize to our listeners if my voice is a little faded or scratchy. I, I came into the weekend w- with a little bit of a bug, and I was having a sore throat as a result. But, you know, being the tough guy that I am, I fought through. I, I played through my injury and <laughs> illness, nice. and I went out to Lambo on Sunday and yelled my brains out. And so this is the result. We are five days after the game, and I still sound like this. So fortunately, Sunday, the Broncos is a Milwaukee season ticket holder game, so I get I get the Sunday off, but then I'll be back at it Thursday for the Eagles. Okay, so before we jump right in here, I know we're, we're taking kind of a side trail here from our offensive matchups that we want to talk about, but as someone who was at the game, Andrew, can you talk just a little bit more about uh, what that environment was like on Sunday? Uh, was it different? You know, did the Get Loud Lambo, did that really, you know, have any kind of an effect? What was it like? Yeah, I think, you know, largely, we've we've talked about the stadium atmosphere before before and it's something I'm passionate about I think a lot of times that conversation is really overblown because when the team has been good in the past the stadium oftentimes has been loud I do get the whole entitled town mentality and and there are times when 
fans are just happy to be there and kind of sitting sitting on their hands and and you know trying to be midwestern polite and not stand in front of the the person behind them but sunday was good it, it was a really great atmosphere for probably three quarters i think there was a little bit of a lull in the third and everybody was getting antsy with the offense struggling and sputtering and as a result, I think that had an impact on how loud it was on defense because people were getting they, they were feeling tight and, and concerned that the Packers were going to blow the lead. But it was it was a great atmosphere. There were some really cool hype videos. Uh, Zadarius and Preston Smith had the best one by far, <laughs> and they they really got the crowd into it. And we were talking about this before we started recording, but jokingly, when I was hosting with Andy Herman a few weeks ago, just off the top of my head, I said, it'd be really cool if they had the players do hype videos before big plays and tell the fans to get loud. And they did exactly that. So they had different defensive personnel and even Jamal Williams thrown in there randomly to to get the crowd excited. And really, what's, what's the uh, curmudgeon behind you going to say if the player on the screen is telling you to stand up and be loud. So yeah, it it was a really great atmosphere, especially first and second quarter Uh, late in the fourth. It was really loud too. So not the loudest I've heard, but, but a really great crowd and a a nice comeback for Lambeau. Yeah, that's awesome. It's good to hear because from someone who's sitting on the couch, you know, my seats are not quite as, as good as yours, but with all the hype on Twitter, you know, and all the anticipated, you know, let's get louder as, as a fan base. It sounded a little bit even on uh, the broadcast, like there was a little bit more stadium noise. So I was just kind of curious to hear your experience. So good to hear that Packers fans rose to the occasion on Sunday and let's hope that that continues. But let's get back uh, a little bit to our, our, you know, our script here and talk about what we're supposed to talk about and our offensive matchups here. Yeah, I think I was supposed to talk about the offense, and I went off on a tangent like I always do. But we we certainly <laughs> saw we saw an offensive explosion over the last, uh, the first three drives last week, I should say, and then the team seemed to sputter out. There, I think, are some misconceptions about how the offense actually looked because they lost points on the Geronimo fumble. And they lost points on the miscommunication on fourth down. And you could probably argue that the fumbled shotgun snap would have likely led to points too. So. I think the offense actually performed relatively well, and I expect continued improvement as the players get more comfortable with Matt LaFleur's scheme. Chris Harris Jr. has been an elite slot corner in the NFL for years, and Vic Fangio has been using him a little bit differently than that slot corner role, and he has been having him shadow uh, whoever the Broncos' opponent's top option is. So I will be very interested to see if he shadows Devontae, I actually think it's a better option if if I'm doing some self-scouting on the Packers to just double Devontae and put Chris Harris on Marquez Valdez-Scantling or whoever the wide receiver two is in on the play. But Vic Fangio certainly knows more about slowing down Aaron Rodgers than anybody else in the NFL. So um, I'm not a defensive coordinator, and that's that's just my philosophy. But I think that that type of mentality has helped to slow the Packers down in the past. So hopefully the Broncos don't do that. Yeah. If, if Adams and Harris end up one-on-one, I would expect Devontae to win his share of the matchup. But what I'll really be watching is MVS, Geronimo, and maybe even somebody like Jake Kumaro against Bryce Callahan and Isaac Yodum. Uh, Callahan doesn't have the size to match up with the bigger receivers, and I don't think Yadam has the speed to play with MBS. So I think Sunday could finally be the day that Marquez uh, breaks out. 
And yeah, we've definitely heard some buzz on Twitter about, you know, who's going to be that next playmaker. Is the offense missing a playmaker? Are they, you know, short that guy on the offense? And so, yeah, we definitely want to see who's going to take that step and be that other option for Aaron Rodgers in this offense. So um, I want to talk about Aaron Jones versus this Broncos linebackers group, uh, specifically in space. And so I'm going to cheat a little bit by kind of talking around this a little bit and getting to my point. But the Denver Broncos defense entered the year with some really, really high expectations. And so it is early and things can change. But with the addition of Vic Fangio, there were some really high expectations for this defense, especially when you have guys like Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. But they really haven't impressed through the two weeks of the season that we've seen. And I know I'm supposed to be talking about the offense here, and I'm getting there, but the Broncos' pass defense actually hasn't been that terrible. They've actually been a top-five pass defense, but their run defense is giving up an average of 125 yards on the ground per game, and that's pretty close to the bottom of the league. And so I think the matchup to watch this week is Aaron Jones versus the defense. Jones has a better, you know, he's had a better week two, two than what we saw in week one. He kind of came out sputtering a little bit, uh, but still, he, it wasn't that dominating performance that I think fans have been waiting for, for him just to rip that long run uh, that we've been waiting for. But uh, I think that we'll see them feed Jones a little bit more in this game. And I think that they'll try to even feed him and Williams maybe in the screen game to take advantage of the Broncos lack of athleticism at linebacker. Uh, Josie Jewell is a really solid player for the Broncos, but he's not going to be able to keep up with someone like Aaron Jones's agility. So I even think that this might be a week where Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones do connect on that deep wheel route that we saw them try last week. Uh, so I'll be watching to see how the Packers feed Aaron Jones in this game because I think that the way that they win this game uh, is on the ground and through this run defense of the Broncos. And so I am definitely starting Aaron Jones in my fantasy leagues this week and I'm excited about it. Yeah, and you bring up a really interesting point. I think since the Broncos were that truly elite defense a few years ago and they lost players like Malik Jackson and Danny Trevathan and then Brandon Marshall, they they really haven't replaced the middle of that defense and they've been very vulnerable to the run. And as a result, that has really slowed down their pass rushers. So when you hear people talk about Von Miller and Bradley Chubb not having the kind of production that they would you would expect out of two really impact edge rushers. I think a lot of that is they're getting slowed down because they can't commit to the you know they're not getting third and third and longs. They're they're not being able to commit to that pass rush. But you're right. Aaron Jones will continue to be a major factor in this offense. And on yesterday's show, Dusty Evely talked about how one way for Matt LaFleur to limit the wear on Aaron Jones' body is to use him as a receiver and in jet sweep situations. And I think that is a really intriguing idea and something to watch for as we move forward, because I, I certainly love what Aaron Jones brings to this team, but he's not exactly Emmett Smith. And I think making sure he's healthy for the second half of the season and into the playoffs is going to be really, really important for the Packers' success. Yeah, uh, all right. There definitely is plenty for us to keep our eye on. Uh, as far as the offense is concerned, I think we're all kind of waiting to see if the first quarter offense that we got in the Vikings game is the one that we're going to get on a regular basis, uh, one that's really super efficient and that put up 21 points like it was nothing. I think we'd all like to see that continue. Uh, but I think we're waiting to see if that can be sustained or uh, just consistent in some way. But let's go ahead and turn our attention to the defense and some matchups on that side of the ball. Uh, Andrew, what matchup do you think is going to play a big role on defense on Sunday? 
Well, the first thing that came to my mind, you know, losing Raven Green was going to be a massive blow anyways. But the timing is also really unfortunate as the Packers are facing Philip Lindsay and Noah Fant this week. And then Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard and Philly's stable of pass catching backs on Thursday. So someone is going to have to step up and cover Lindsay Lindsay and Fant. <laughs> I knew I knew I was going to say that. today. <laughs> Lindsay and Fant on third down to prevent long sustained drives by the Broncos. I think we're going to see a combination of Adrian Amos, maybe Tremont Williams, and actually Tony Brown taking on those duties. So Amos and Williams, probably not too much of a surprise, but I think Tony Brown has a unique skill set to deal with athletic pass catchers because he has speed and he has an ability to hit and be a pretty secure tackler. So that's something... I don't know why I think that might be a wrinkle in this defense, but that was the player that I identified as having the kind of skills necessary to be a a good matchup with some of those weapons in the Broncos passing attack. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. It's going to be, you know, they've got to find ways for Joe Flacco to have success, and we know that he does like his tight ends, and so we'll see, you know, how the Packers planned to defend that especially. But um, I'm going to be watching the Packers cornerbacks in this coming game because I think Jair Alexander and Kevin King are going to be really interesting to watch against these Broncos wide receivers because if you've been paying attention, Emmanuel Sanders has just been on a tear the last couple weeks, and Cortland Sutton has looked pretty good as well. And Jair and King have been kind of cocky about how they feel that uh, they're becoming a dominant pair of corners in this league. But Jair also knows that he left some big plays on the field last week, and so I'm expecting him to come out, have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in this one, and I really do like the matchups of these players. I think Jair will pair really nicely with Emmanuel Sanders, and I think think that King's long frame is a pretty good match for Sutton, who's 6'4". So I'm excited uh, to see this matchup and kind of see if they can have a dominant performance against some guys where it's a pretty straightforward matchup, I think, uh, with who that they'll be they'll be matching up with in this one. Great. So uh, have any thought about X-Factors? Yeah, yeah. X-Factors is the other half of this conversation. We do our matchups and then we jump right into talking about uh, some of the guys that might not immediately come to mind. We all know the Kenny Clarks and the Aaron Rodgers, but someone who's going to have a great impact in this game, um, maybe just as big of an impact as anyone, but might not be the name you think of, might be flying under the radar a little bit. So, Andrew, who is your X-Factor for uh, this Sunday? Yeah. I, I really was thinking about this a lot today, and one name that really popped into my head was Rashawn Gary, and it's weird to me that you would think of a top 15 pick as an X-factor, but it just goes to show the luxury that Brian Gutekunst has afforded to Mike Pettin that his high first-round pick isn't necessary to get a large quantity of snaps. And Mike Pettin has seemingly been slowly allowing Gary more reps from week one to week two, and I expect that to continue to increase. And I think this game is going to be a perfect opportunity to really just move him into the rotation fully. Broncos left tackle Garrett Bowles has been struggling, and I think the quick twitch of Gary will be enough to give him fits. So... He's also shown an ability to get pressure on twists and stunts, and I think the poor play of Denver's interior offensive lineman will give him a few opportunities as well. I'd like to see Pettin give Gary 20-ish reps for his development, but also to keep the Smiths fresh going into a really difficult Thursday night game. 
I'm thinking this is the week we finally see Rashawn's first career NFL sack. That'd be really fun to see. I, I would love to see that. You know, we both kind of like struggled a little bit when the Rashawn Gary pick was made, but I'm more and more in love with the idea of having so much depth at edge rusher, and it's been really fun to see um, the Packers edge players getting to the quarterback and creating that pressure so far this season. Um, I'm going to talk about something really similar, but from just a slightly different angle, because I think we both um, are seeing the same thing about the Broncos offensive line. Uh, so it's been well documented. We know that Kenny Clark's 2019 is just off to this incredible start. He's playing some just dominating football right now, and so of course, that means that Vic Fangio is going to have to put a lot of attention on Kenny Clark, as any good coach would. So you uh, have to pay attention to the other team's most impactful players, and there's no doubt that Clark's that guy. But this is especially true uh, for the Broncos because of how bad Denver's offensive line has been these first couple weeks of the season. Uh, if you're an NFL draft fan, you're probably a big fan of Kansas State's Dalton Reisner. He's one of the easiest guys to like in the draft process. And he's really been the only bright spot on this offensive line for the Broncos so far. And if you remember, Reisner played right tackle at Kansas State, and it might be time to move him out to tackle because Denver's tackles are simply just getting destroyed through these first two weeks. And so with so much attention needed on Kenny Clark and so much concern about the offensive tackle play that Denver is going to have to commit to on the outside to take care of you know, Zadarius and Preston Smith. I think the forgotten man this week is going to be Dean Lowry, uh, who has had excellent games so far. He had an excellent game last week. And I think with all that extra attention that will be given to slowing down 97 and 55 and 91, Dean Lowry is going to push the pocket to have himself another game on Sunday where I think he might actually get to the quarterback. We've seen him tip some balls and get in the face of the quarterback a couple times. And I just feel like this is a game where he's not going to be the guy that they key on, but he's going to be a guy that makes some plays and is an X factor in this one. So I expect him to be disrupt, be disruptive and be a guy that Joe Flacco was sick of seeing by the end of the day. Yeah, I really liked what I saw from Lowry last week. He's made an impact and has taken a big step forward after the contract extension. Mike Daniels certainly is somebody who is always going to be remembered fondly in Green Bay, but I think Dean is a much better fit in Mike Patton's scheme and has really gotten off to a very strong start this year and been a big part of that dominant front seven. So anyways, to, to kind of close the show today, we have some news around the NFL that we, we wanted to touch on. The first bit, um, maybe maybe considered a minor transaction, but Evan Bayless, the tight end, was brought up from Green Bay's practice squad on Thursday. So that leads us to believe that perhaps Jimmy Graham's not going to be playing on Sunday or maybe even potentially longer than that. Uh, any thoughts on Evan Bayless? I don't know. I mean, I think he's probably going to be stacked behind a couple of the other tight ends. So I don't know. Hopefully we won't need to see too much of him. Hopefully Robert Tanyan gets a little bit more of a run. I'd love to see that on Sunday. But um, Jimmy Graham, there's been some clips, man, the last couple. I mean, I was a big fan of what he put out there on the field week one. But last week there's a couple clips and maybe he's kind of trying to self-preserve because of an injury he had going on. But really dodging some blocking opportunities. So I'm okay with some other guys getting a run and uh, seeing what they can produce in the passing game as well. Yeah, and in Matt LaFleur's scheme, you don't need to be a game-changing tight end to be impactful. Evan Bayless is somebody that Aaron Rodgers has said a lot of kind things about throughout this preseason process. I would say Bayless, a better blocker, 
than Robert Tanyan at this point and a better receiver than Mercedes Lewis. So maybe okay. he finds his way onto the field a little bit. I, I would certainly say he's he's probably going to primarily play on special teams, but you might see a player or two where he can jump in and be impactful, kind of like uh, Robert Tanyan was last year for, mm-hmm. for the Packers. Other other news, uh, more around the league, uh, we, we always – end up churning up the rumor mill for some reason. <laughs> but uh, Jalen Ramsey sounds like every single team in the league has at least called the Jaguars to inquire about this star cornerback. Does the baggage that comes with Ramsey override his immense talent? And do you think he'd be a good fit in Green Bay, even though they already have a really improved secondary? Yeah, I mean, I think you always want to add talent to your team. And we kind of had this discussion when we talked about Antonio Brown uh, I guess it's been a couple months ago, and that kind of started around what do you, what's the line between character, off-the-field distraction, and kind of being maybe a me player and those kinds of things. But I think that the Packers are headed in such a good direction right now, and this is just me, that I think I would hate to give up premium draft capital for a player that may be more concerned with his own personal career than maybe a unit that seems to be playing as one and as a defense for each other. So that's not something I'm interested in doing right now, and I really don't want to give up, especially a number one overall pick, to make it happen. But I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think a lot of the sort of off-field or sideline concerns about Jalen Ramsey are kind of overblown. Okay. I think his talent greatly outweighs any distraction he might cause. He is a me-first player, but really many, many elite cornerbacks are, and <laughs> I think that's fine. That's part of his mental makeup, and that's one of the things that makes him as good as he is. The problem here is, for the rest of this year, he's affordable. Starting next year, he's not, and yeah. <laughs> he wants a new contract on top of that. I'm sure that's what the end result of this is. Plus, we're hearing ridiculous things when it comes to draft compensation a one plus Mm -hmm. so you're looking at at least your first round pick plus something else going forward maybe a first and a future third or something like that and to me that's way too much to give up when you already have Jair you already have Kevin King you have Tony Brown who looks promising you have your developmental prospect in Josh Jackson yeah it would be awesome to add in an all pro player but the cost is going to end up potentially making you lose out on other major positions on this team, like losing a Brian Bulaga or even going forward, maybe losing somebody as impactful as Kenny Clark. And then on top of that, you don't have the draft capital to replace those players. So to me, I don't think the Packers are real serious contenders anyways, but it just doesn't make sense. I think this this makes all the sense in the world for a team that wants to either push all the chips to the middle of the table or who has a bunch of cap room and, and can fit him in under that. Yeah, so he'll be a Patriot on Friday is what we're saying. Oh, please. No. <laughs> I think anyway, the, I was going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head, and this is a situation. The biggest thing is the money, and – it's kind of like with the Cleo Mack situation where you give up that trade capital and you basically are signing that or you're handing the player a blank check because you're not going to let them walk out of town with a new team because you're not going to give up that capital just to let them walk away. So it's really just, hey, come to town, we'll give you a blank check and you tell us what you want to make. So I don't want to be in that situation, like you said, with Kenny Clark and Blake Martinez and so many others that we need to pay. 
those moves work out really great if you win. If you win the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. But and and I we're going down a rabbit hole right here. <laughs> this is totally off the cuff. But one of the things, and we'll talk about this at some point this season, maybe in the bye week, or maybe we'll wait until after the season is over. But if you project forward, the Chicago Bears are in a lot of trouble if they don't win this year. Yeah. Because their salary cap situation is about to get very, very bad. And they are going to have to pay Mitch Trubisky. I, I know at this point that's laughable because of the way he's been performing. But you either have to pay him or you lose him. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they have a bunch of other really big contracts that, that are accelerating and, and increasing in value very quickly. So they're going to have a lot of very difficult decisions to make, even this year. And then going forward, it's going to get even worse. So if a team, and and I'm looking at you, Minnesota Vikings, goes (laughs) out and makes this trade for Jalen Ramsey, you better win the Super Bowl this year because next year is going to be really, really difficult on you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've seen Minnesota do some crazy magic tricks before with cap space, uh, but that would be, I mean, I'd hate to see him go to Minnesota, but you also know. Anytime anybody commits that much money to a player, it will limit them in the future to some extent. And uh, so we will see. We'll see maybe Friday, maybe Saturday, maybe Monday where he's playing. Um, and uh, maybe maybe not the NFC North is where we're hoping. I don't know. But uh, yeah. let's uh, keep him in the AFC. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all we can ask for. How about uh, any reactions to the Trevor Davis trade? Yeah. So, I mean, I found this one really interesting because I think we kind of talked about it all the way through. He had such a good preseason. Uh, I was, you know, really just pulling for him because he was doing stuff on the field as a receiver. And then also, obviously, he's always been been the special teams ace kind of guy. Um, but on Sunday, when he didn't call fair catch on that play where he just got absolutely lit up. And then on a couple of returns that he had later, I just felt like he looked really unsure about what he was doing out there. And just kind of like maybe was shell shocked from that experience and maybe kind of second-guessing himself and those kinds of things. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, what the what the path forward is. We've heard a lot about Darius Shepard, and obviously they picked up uh, Tremont Smith and his speed from, from Kansas City. So we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, sixth-round pick in return is uh, – I don't think that's bad for a player that was kind of a borderline roster player a couple weeks ago. I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I think you're spot on. Getting that six-round pick for him is great value. The second that they were able to acquire Traymond Smith, I think the writing was on the wall. Trevor Davis, you feel really bad for him. And I've said I've been pretty critical of him his whole career because I never thought that he could run a route other than a go. And he he really showed a lot of development this offseason. He looked to the part, and then you have that unfortunate injury in the inter-squad scrimmage. You have really a long, what what seemed to be, or what we thought was going to be a pretty quick recovery ended up being a kind of long recovery. And then he comes back, and on Sunday, it just looked like he was trying to make something happen to prove himself. And he just never could. So hopefully things work out in Oakland. I, the, he, he seems like a really great guy, and, and I'm definitely rooting for him. But I, I think his time was appropriately up in Green Bay, and we'll hope that Tremont Smith and Darius Shepard can fill in and be impact players as well. But that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. 
Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jason and Mark, and they're going to give us an update of the injury report for Sunday's game. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday, and we are going to be back next week, and we will be breaking down the Week 4 Thursday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Go, hey, go!